Good to see you guys today. Thanks for being here. And uh, we had an awesome baptism we celebrated here this morning. We'll be doing another one tonight. And I'm going to try not to fall into this tank as I preach. I almost went off the stage a few weeks ago during the prayer, and you all had your eyes closed, so I was good. But this would be a little bit hard to ignore if I went off the stage today. But so glad you guys are with us. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this morning and just the way that you work in our lives. And thank you, God, for the awesome, life-changing truths we're going to see in your word today. We pray that we'll be impacted and changed by them. In your name we pray. Amen. So we're doing this series called The Truth Is, and this phrase, the truth is, is something that you use when you want to set the record straight or you want to share something and kind of lay it online. I have to be honest, I have to share something with you guys this morning and set the record straight. I was, you know, reluctant to share this. I was trying to figure out if I should or shouldn't share this throughout the week, and I know some people will be mad, some people will be happy, but the truth is, for the past week, I have been rooting for the Yankees, so I just want to throw that out there. Okay, we got some claps, and I'm getting some death stares, so, all right. You know, I'm thinking at this point, my team is probably not going to make it. The Mets might be out at this point. Although I never give up, but I think they've been eliminated. So I've been rooting for the Yankees. Apparently it's not been going well, and we'll be holding a fasting and prayer service this afternoon. So if you want to come back at 3. But no, for, you know, I just had to let that out there. I felt like to hold it back would be dishonest. So that's, that's who I'm praying for and rooting for right now. And that, that phrase, the truth is, is something that you use when you kind of got to get something off your chest. And you kind of have to set the record straight. And so you say, okay. This is what it looks like. This is what's going on. And that's what I think Paul is kind of doing as we look through the book of Ephesians. He's setting the record straight. He's saying, okay, the truth is, and then he goes on and tells us these amazing things about God, these amazing things about us, these amazing things about our relationship with God. And so we're doing this series here called The Truth Is. And so far we have seen some amazing truths about our salvation. We've seen some amazing truths about what we actually deserve and how really undeserved this salvation is that God's given us, and we've seen what it looks like to get closer to God and know Him better. Now today, we're going to do something kind of interesting. Things are going to change, take a kind of an interesting turn here as we continue to go through the book of Ephesians in this series. And uh, two topics are going to come up today that you wouldn't think are in any way related, but they're incredibly related, as we're going to see as we look through the verses here today. So really, we're going to get to the roots of two problems today. Okay, And the first problem has to do with our souls. Every single one of us has a lost soul apart from God. Okay, So that's the first problem we're going to deal with. Now many of you in the room woke up knowing that today. Many of you know what God has done to save and rescue your lost soul. But some of you walked in the room today and you're not a follower of Jesus. Or you're watching online and you're not a follower of Jesus. And you're like, wait, what does that mean that I have a lost soul? Well, it means that... We have this wedge driven between us and God because of the things in our lives that we've done wrong, the sin in our lives. And apart from God, we can't save ourselves. We have no hope. There's nothing we can do to undo the wrongs and to undo the bad things we've done in our lives. We have no ability to save or rescue ourselves. So we're lost apart from God. Now, the second problem that we're going to get to the root of today, and this is where I think we're going to kind of shake our heads and kind of be a little bit surprised by this, is we also have a huge issue going on in our nation. And the issue is is that we are more divided than I've ever seen us. And so we're going to talk about our lost souls and our divided nation. And you're thinking, how do these things come together? You know, how's this all going to play out? Well, the beautiful thing is, is as we look through Ephesians 2 today, that's exactly where the verses take us. The verses address our lost souls and what it looks like for two very different types of people, a divided people group to come together. And I don't know about you, but as I look around in our nation, man, I just think things are crazy. 
right? I'm almost 40. I've never seen our nation like it is. I've never seen, you know, so many different opinions and disagreements about the leadership of the nation. I've never seen so many kind of hot topics argued over and so widely debated. Uh, I've never seen such scary things going on around our world, you know? I mean, a week ago today, a man went and shot hundreds of people, killing almost 60, wounding almost 500, and there's just crazy stuff going on. And here's what I know. I know that there's a lot of disagreement in our nation right now, and I know everyone knows what they believe, and everyone has a really good argument, and we kind of argue, and we, we get to our workplaces, we get to our schools, we get to our neighborhoods or our families, and everybody's telling you what they believe and why their way is right, and if only the nation would do this, and if only that would happen here, then we'd be okay. And there's all this discussion, and the discussion is okay, but it's not the answer. Like, our politics is not the answer to save America, Right? Our opinions are not what's going to take our divided nation and bring us back together. And here's what I think. I think though we all have our political views, and that's okay. It's, we should be political. We should vote. We should do all those things, right? At the end of the day, I think though we may know very well what we believe and what we think needs to change, when the lights go out and we're laying in bed and we think about the world that we live in right now, I think we're scared. I think we don't know what to do. I think we don't see how our nation could ever even in any way unify. We can't imagine almost like, what's it going to look like in 10 years? I think about my kids. What's it going to be like for them when they're in their 20s and 30s? Man, what's this nation going to look like? And so Paul, believe it or not, 2,000 years ago, addresses the problem of our lost souls and the problem of a divided nation and a divided people in the same set of verses. And it's brilliant what he does. And I just want you to know that I didn't wake up on Monday after everything went crazy last Sunday in Las Vegas and think to myself, oh man, I have to write a message and try to figure out how to address this this week. It literally, the verses that we're going to look at today just guide us right through this. And so Paul is going to speak to what our souls are maybe in need of and also what our nation is in need of right now right here in these verses that he wrote in, to, to the people in Ephesus 2,000 years ago. Now, I think this is so important to talk about today is because if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're like, man, I have this issue with my soul and I don't know God and I don't know how to know God and apparently there's this division between me and God because of my sin and I don't know how to do that, then you're going to find the answer to what God wants to do in your life to save your soul. But if you're here today and you live in this nation... And we should all be tuning in. And we should all be leaning in because we are going to discover today what the answer is to the problems in our nation. And more importantly, maybe not more importantly, but almost as important, I guess I should say, we are going to discover what our role is in all of this. So I think a lot of us are just confused. I think we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to bring change. We don't know what kind of change we need. So how do we even bring that change? So today, we're going to find out what the answer for our nation is and what kind of people we need to be during this time. You are not alive when, right now on accident. Like God knew you'd be here 2017 in the midst of the world that we live in, and you're here for a purpose, and you're here for God to use you. And so I want to talk today about what God wants to do for our lost souls, what he's done, but also what he might want to do for our nation, how he might want to use you and might want to use me. And again, I didn't plan this out. I'm not that smart, okay? The verses just take us there, and it's really, really beautiful. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus today, so glad you're here, so glad you're watching online, and I just hope that you will understand today clearly what Jesus has done to save your soul and what 
the hope might be for our nation. So we're going to look at Ephesians, and we're going to keep rolling through Ephesians chapter 2, where we left off last week. And we're going to check out verse 11 to start. And this is what Paul says in verse 11. He says, Therefore, remember that formerly you who were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Now, I can tell you something about that. That was the strangest starting verse for any message that's ever been preached. (laughs) You're all like, what is that about? And what does it have to do with my lost soul or with our nation? Right? But this is where we were in Ephesians, so here we go. But this is really actually very simple. That's a lot of confusing language to say something very simple. Here's what Paul was doing. He's trying to get the Gentiles' attention. What does that mean? Well, in Paul's day, there were really two groups of people. You had the Jews and you had the Gentiles. The Gentiles is just simply a fancy term for everyone who wasn't Jewish. And if you read through the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible, do you know what you see? You see the Jews were God's chosen people, right? And so you had these two groups, and you had this huge division between these two groups. See, the Jews said, hey, we're God's chosen people. We're it, right? And then you had the Gentiles or everybody else who said, well, what does that mean for me? Like, what about my relationship with God? And and if I'm in trouble here in my sin, what do I do to get out of this? And, and so you had the Jews who were kind of considered the chosen people or the holy people and then everybody else. And Paul's trying to get everybody's attention here. And the reason that this whole you know, situation of circumcision is brought up is because God, in the very first book of the Bible, made a covenant with Abraham that the Jewish people would be circumcised as a sign of their relationship with God. So you really have Paul just trying to get everybody's attention, and especially the Gentiles. And if you're not a Jew here today, then you're a Gentile. Okay, we're all the Gentiles, probably a lot of us in the room. And Paul's trying to get our attention because he's about to show us something about our lostness. He's about to show us how lost we actually were. And so Paul has kind of helped us see, okay, you got these two groups, Jews, Gentiles, the people, the Jews have all this history in God, they have all these promises in God, and then there's everybody else, and it kind of seems like we're in serious trouble because we're left out on our own. But look at verse 12. It says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. So talking to all of us who were not Jewish, who were Gentiles, who were outside of all these things, he says, you were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in the world. So Paul's painting a really dark picture so he can get our attention here. He's painting a really dark picture that we were outside of Christ. We had no hope in God. We had no promise of God. We had no relationship with God. At least the Jews had history in God, right? You had all these famous guys, Abraham and Isaac and the judges and the kings and the prophets. You had all this history in God. But then there's just everybody else. What about everybody else? Our souls are lost. And the Jews and the Gentiles couldn't have been more at odds. You think our nation is divided? Just wait until we get into this a little bit deeper and see how divided the Jews and the Gentiles were. Okay, so verse 13. So Paul's trying to remind us, you're super lost, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near. So everybody needs a Savior named Jesus, right? And up until the time Jesus comes, there were all these promises that God would send the Messiah to save the Jewish people. But then again, there's you and me sitting there going, what about us? And this verse tells us, we who were really far from God, we who had no history in God, who had no right to anything in God, he reached out and brought us near. 
One of my favorite things to do to my kids when they were little is, of course, some good old-fashioned tickle torture, right? Nothing better as a parent than just to get your child laughing so hard they can hardly breathe, right? It's just such delight it brings to us. It's kind of sick. But you just, you just kind of go for it, right? And, and now what do your kids do after the tickle torture, right? Well, I'll tell you this. If you have young kids, you have to be careful because as your kids get older and they get stronger, you want to start to leave them alone. My, my son, Cade, is 13 now, and he's big and he's strong. I don't try to tickle Cade anymore because he kicks really hard, and I like my internal organs where they are, okay? I don't need to be getting kicked in the pancreas. You know what I'm saying? I don't even know if that's where it is, but I'm holding right here. I'm going to say pancreas is right here, okay? Probably wrong. But Landon, my youngest, he was like this anomaly of a kid because he didn't do what normal kids do when they get tickled because Landon, we used to call him Landon the Destroyer because he was all brute. I know he's like a skinny kid right now, but he was chunky and he, he was like a tank back in the day. And he would somehow get you on the floor and then his goal in life was to sit on your head. Like every day Landon woke up, this thought ran through his head. If everything goes as planned, I will sit on someone's head today. Like, that was his goal. And if you don't believe me, here is a picture of him on top of Cade, who is way older than him. And right now, Landon's head is on, or hands is on, are on Cade's head, but soon his butt will be there, okay? Because that's his goal in life. Now, most kids, when you tickle torture them, what they do after you tickle them is what? They, they get up and they try to get away, right? They run away. And every good parent grabs them by the back of the shirt, and the kid's sitting there running, and you're just hanging on to him. And what do you do? You grab him, and you bring him in, and it's round two, right? And you know what? I want you to think about that image. I want you to think about the kid running away. And I want you to see your arm reaching out and grabbing them by the back of the shirt. Because that is what every one of us was doing when God reached out and grabbed us by the back of the shirt and brought us near. We were running from him. We were far from him. We had no hope. We had no promise. But he reached out and he grabbed us and he brought those who were far and made us near. And that's what God has done for you and me. And especially those of you and I who were not the chosen people of God back in the day and have this Jewish heritage. Man, we should all the more be going, wow, because God gave the Israelites all these promises. You will be my people. I will be your God. I will send a Savior. I will send a Messiah. And all the Gentiles are sitting there going, well, I guess we're in trouble. But look what God has done through Jesus. And that's what I love about this verse. It says that this was all available to us in Jesus. And then it says, by the blood of Christ. By the blood of Christ. So this only is possible. The only reason you were brought near to God is because Jesus was horrifically murdered in your place and my place. This is only available in Jesus. It's by his blood. If you're not a follower of Jesus here today, it's not about being this good person so that God begins to suddenly like you and give you his approval. No, Jesus had to be murdered in your place so that you and I who were far could be brought near. So we've seen That God has extended his grace, not just to the Jews that he promised to send a Messiah to save, but also to you and I who might be called the Gentiles here today. But then we're going to see some hope for our nation. And Paul's going to flip-flop, and then we're going to do the same with him through the message. One minute he's talking about our souls that are lost and need God. The next minute he's talking about the hope for our nation. But verse 14, here it goes. For he himself is our peace. Jesus is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. 
So there was this huge barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles. Let's talk about that barrier a little bit. So the Jews were known as the chosen people, which meant everybody else was not the chosen people, right? The Jews were the circumcised, everybody else was uncircumcised. The Jews were near, everybody else was far. In fact, when one member of one of these groups was pregnant and in need of medical attention because they were about to deliver a baby, a member from the other group was not permitted to help them medically in delivering that child because it was seen as bringing another one of those people into the world. That's how deep a hostility there was between these groups. In fact, if a Jew and a Gentile couple came together and got married, the parents held a funeral service for their child that just got married because they were dead to them. That's the wall of hostility that was between these two people groups. Sound like anybody you know? Democrat, Republican, this background, that background, this race, that race, this ethnicity, that ethnicity, this opinion, that opinion. Man, sounds a little bit like our nation right now, no? This incredible divide, this incredible barrier. And I love, it says that he himself is our peace. He broke down the dividing wall. He broke down the wall of hostility. And you know what? I believe with all of my heart that Jesus is the answer for our nation's problems. And you know what? We're not the Jews and the Gentiles, and those were very specific promises to the Jews and the Gentiles. Unfortunately, there is not a verse in the Bible that says, I will take America, and I will bring them all back, and they'll be all unified and everything. But here's what I know. The same God who could break down the wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles can do it in our nation too. And do you know why I know that? Because you are sitting in the room right now with people you don't agree with on a political level. There's people sitting next to you you didn't even know yet, right? We don't have a Democrat side and a Republican side and a conservative side and a libertarian side. We don't have that. We don't have a this side for this, this race and that race. No, we are one because something bigger unites us than our politics or our race. Something bigger than our division is able to bring us together under the same roof. And Democrats and Republicans can worship together and this race and that race can worship together. And Mets fans and Yankees fans can worship together. Some people were shaking their heads no, but it's okay, you'll be escorted out. But, but wow, here we are under the same roof because Jesus can break down the walls of hostility between us. And the reason I know it is because he's doing it right here today. He's already made it possible. So this gives us hope for our nation. He himself is our peace. Let's reread verse 14 and go into 15. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. This verse is incredibly loaded. And just so you know, if you haven't seen it yet, guys, we are going for it today, okay? So hang with me. But this is incredibly loaded, okay? What does it mean here? It's talking about what God has done to save our souls, but it's also talking about what God did to unite these two people groups, okay? What God did to save our souls is, it says right here, he set aside in his flesh the law, the commands, and the regulations. Okay, so God gives the laws and the commands, the regulations, about 1,500 years before Jesus comes. So for 1,500 years, the Jewish people are trying to keep these rules to the best of their ability, right? I'll just ask you, how does that go for you? Not too good, right? I don't know about you, I've tried to keep the rules. 
I've tried to look at the Bible and say, okay, this is what God wants me to do, so I'm just going to do it. And I fell miserably. That's exactly what these people experienced for those 1,500 years. And so Jesus shows up on the scene. And he says, you know what? We're going to take the law and the commands and the regulations and all those things that made you a slave to them. And this verse, this translation says, Jesus set them aside. Okay? Now let me just say something. That's a weak translation. All right? I usually use the NIV, and that's what we're reading here. But I like what the ESV says here. The ESV says God abolished the law. See, you set aside the remote control after you change the channel. You know what I mean? You set aside the box of Oreos after you take a few. Close, though, so you can get them back, right? So that which is far is brought near, right? So you, you set that aside. That's what it means to set something aside. Jesus didn't just set the law aside. He abolished it. So that what you and I maybe would have looked to to try to save ourselves we would realize is not the answer. And I love what it says here. I love that it says that it took him setting it aside in his flesh. Okay? What does that mean? That means you and I were not saved at no cost to God. Okay? It doesn't mean God just woke up one day. Well, I don't know that God sleeps. But God didn't just decide one day, you know what? I'm kind of done with the law. So let's just ignore it. No, 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 no. You see, Jesus had to, in the flesh, deal with the law, the commands and regulations to save you and me. Let's just check this out. Would you read this with me on the screens? Jesus, in the flesh, kept all of the laws, commands, and regulations we couldn't keep, and then was punished in his flesh for all of the laws, commands, and regulations that we broke. So Jesus had to come in the flesh, God in the flesh, live the perfect life that you and I always fall short to live, and then in his flesh, he had to take the load and the weight of our sin and God's wrath against sin to save and rescue us. So what does that mean? It means that now we are free. The debt that we owe God because of our sin has been removed. Instead of the law of Moses regulating us and trying to you know, tell us, do this if you want right standing with God, now we are seen as holy and pure because of God's grace. And we have the Holy Spirit in our lives. Now this is where it gets confusing. And just so you know, I'm giving you like a seven message in one today, okay? So here we go, all right? But we'll get you out of here on time, don't worry. So what we need to see though is some, some of us might say then, well then what do we do with the Bible, right? Like, like it, there, there's commands in the Bible, like, did, if God abolished them, then we don't have to obey those commands anymore? Well, here is what we need to do. We look back at the Bible not to say, okay, I'm going to keep these rules so God will save me. We look back to say, oh, this is what pleases God. And I love God. And he has saved me. So I'm going to look back to these laws and these rules, not because if I keep them, then I'll be saved. No, I am saved, and I love God, so I want to keep them. It's like a marriage, right? Like, If you're a wise spouse here in the room, you pay attention to what your spouse likes and doesn't like. And you don't keep then those rules or live up to those standards to try to get into a relationship with your spouse. You look back at those things and say, I want to do them because I love my spouse, right? You know, I mean, my wife, she wants the toilet paper put on a certain way. You know, it's either up or down. You can argue, you know, right? How do you do the or the toothpaste tube? Is it squeezed from the top or rolled from the bottom, right? These are things we need to pay attention to, right? My wife has a little shoe bin. And for me, if I get my shoes within a few feet of the shoe bin, they're in the shoe bin. You know what I'm saying? Somehow she sees it differently. And so, okay, I love my wife. 
I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to go ahead and put them. Yeah, it's real difficult to figure that out. <laughs> put them in the bin. Oh, okay. But this is now the heart that we look back at Scripture with. Oh, wow, these commands are important, not because they saved me, because I love this God who has saved me, and now I want to live and bless this God. So check out the screen again. Read this with me. Jesus has saved us from our sin, and God's Spirit is in us. We look to God's commands to see what is right and good. The Holy Spirit empowers us to honor God with our lives, and Jesus' sacrifice covers us when we fall short. Because the truth is, is I'll look back at the commands of God, and I'll say, oh, this is good, and I love God, and I want to honor him, so let me live this way, and yet I'll still stumble sometimes and fall short, right? But this is what it took for your soul to be saved. It took Jesus taking this on in his flesh so that the law could be abolished. All right, now let's continue on. We're going to continue to read verse 15 a little further, so let's repeat a little. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. So, Jesus is unifying the Jews and the Gentiles who put their trust in him, right? So everybody needs to be saved, Jew and Gentile. It's just the Jews had all the promises about it. And some have chosen not to put their trust in Jesus. Some have, right? God's rescued some, brought their dead hearts to life, and some haven't and remain, you know, Jewish and are still looking for their Messiah. But many have said, wow, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. That's what all the promises were about. And I just love this because it says, now God took the Jews and the Gentiles and made them one, made peace. And so there's no more clean and unclean, circumcised and uncircumcised, um, near and far. Now everybody is one in Christ. And so Jesus is the answer to our lost souls, but this would also get us thinking about our nation. Because if Jesus can take Jew and Gentile and make them one, then man, what could he do in our nation? What we're going to see in a few minutes is then how do we act? How does God want to use us in this process? But let's go on to the next part. Verse 16, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. So Jesus' death on the cross destroyed the hostility between Jews and the Gentiles. So think about it. You've got people of different nationalities, different backgrounds, different ethnic groups, disagreeing about very, very many things, able to come together because something bigger unites them, and that is Jesus. And here in the room today, the same is true for us. We might stop and talk on the street, street not knowing each other. Outside this setting, drive each other nuts, not be able to even carry on a conversation because of our political views or our backgrounds or this or that. But here we are, singing to the same God, hearing the same scriptures, volunteering alongside each other, joining community groups. Some of you guys can be like, man, i got to start talking to these volunteers, see what they believe politically. No, maybe you shouldn't, all right? Because something bigger unites us here. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. So Jesus came for those of us who were far, the Gentiles, and those who were near, the Jews, right? Then it goes on a little bit more. Verse 18, for through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So you and I, because of God's grace and what he did on the cross for us, we can just pray to God. We can approach him right now and just say, God, here's what's going on in my heart. Here's what I need. Here's where I'm hurting. Here's what's going on. And he hears us because of what Jesus did on the cross and the Holy Spirit's in our lives. And then verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. We deserve none of this, by the way, because of the sin that had built the wedge between us and God, but this is what God has done for us anyway. And I love that it says that we're a part of his household. So you belong somewhere. You have a home. You have a perfect father 
who loves you. I mean, I think about it like if one of you were to join my family and to join the Jansen household, like you would have your own room, you would have an ability to come and sit at the dinner table and eat with us and enjoy my wife's Italian cooking. Uh, you would have a stocking hung over the fireplace at Christmas time. Uh, you'd have to get used to me running around the house because I chase all of my family members around the house like a raptor. I won't do it now, but it's something you may see someday. I was thinking about doing it this morning. I was practicing it, and I've decided against it. So here we are. But all of the things my family experiences would now be true of you. And that's what you and I get because we're now members of the household of God. He's made us his own. And then it goes on, and let's blast through this. You ready? Verses 20 to 22. We're built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together. This is what our nation needs. Joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So again, we see God taking two very different people group, making them one, and then filling them with his Holy Spirit. And you know what? God saved our souls. God has unified us here in this church. And I know this is what God can do in our nation. And so we flip-flop back and forth a lot here today, talking about the lostness of our soul and the lostness of our nation, the dividedness of our nation. And what I really want you to understand today is that Jesus is the answer to our lost souls and our divided nation. That's what these two have to do with each other. That's what our lost souls and our divided nation have to do with each other. Jesus is the answer to both. He rescues those who are far, brings them near, and he takes two different people groups, and he divides, or destroys rather, the dividing wall of hostility. This is what God can do. And so if you're here today, and you're not a follower of Jesus, I hope today that you will say, wow, this is crazy. Jesus did all this in his flesh, died in my place, rose back from the dead so that I could know him and have a relationship with him. This is unbelievable. And if you are a follower of Jesus today, I hope again you are reminded about how much we don't deserve this, how much we don't deserve his grace, and yet he's given it to us anyway. But let's talk about our nation for a few minutes as we kind of just wrap things up, right? Because Jesus is the answer to our nation. So what does that mean? That means that we as Christians have to act a certain way right now. I said earlier, you are not alive in 2017 on accident. You are here on purpose, and God has you here to use you in a powerful way. So how do we act? How do we live right now as we are working through this craziness of this world and everything just seems so out of control? Well, man, first thing, we got to be praying for our nation, and I will be the first to admit, I do not pray for our country as much as I should. I challenged you back in, um, I guess it would have been November, right, after the election, that whether you agree or disagree with who was elected, that every one of us has to be praying for our president every day. Whether you like him or hate him, man, if you hate him, all the more you should be praying for him, right? We've got to be praying for our president every day, praying for our leaders on both sides of it, crying out to God, God, you are the answer to our nation. Do you know that the mayor of Las Vegas called for prayer services throughout Las Vegas this past week in the midst of what happened there? And in all the devastation that they went through, there's churches. There's literally a website you can go to and find the churches that are holding prayer services. Because why? Somebody realized Jesus is the answer to this. Jesus is the answer to this mess and everything that's going on in our nation. 
Another thing I think we've got to be doing is we've got to be sharing our faith. If Jesus is the answer, we've got to be sharing our faith and inviting people to come to church. Because, man, the world around us so badly needs Jesus. But, but let me just really kind of harp on something here for a minute. We have to be more passionate about Jesus than our politics. We have to be. Why is that? Because, and I shared this about a year ago around the time of the election, I think so often what happens, and so again, we should vote, we should be political, we should have our opinions, that's okay. But the love of Jesus has to shine brighter and louder than all the other stuff we say, right? Because so often in life, I might be able to persuade someone to my political opinion, but if it's either going to be one or the other, I'd rather win them for Jesus, right? I mean, I got a neighbor named Dave, and I love this guy, and we talk, and, you know, we're both Jets fans, so we love pain, um, but he's uh, a Yankee fan, but we still love each other. God's broken down the wall of hostility, and so we, still, we, we could talk, and um, I, I just love Dave, and I love his wife and his kids, and I just pray that they come to know Jesus, and, 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 and the thing is, we may have very different political views, but I would rather him hear what I have to say about Jesus than I have to say about what I believe politically. Every single day of the week, I would rather see him put his trust in Jesus than come to my political party, right? Because Jesus, it's just, it's just more important. There's something greater. Our political issues, our race, our gender, our um, ethnicities, our backgrounds, like all that stuff takes a back seat to spread, spreading this love of Jesus. So in Paul's day... He brings this all up in Ephesians. But, but you know how sometimes someone can say, okay, here's what's going on, and set the record straight and say the truth is this, but then everybody takes a little while to get on board with it? Well, that's what they experience. So Paul says, okay, it's all about Jesus, and God has destroyed this wall of hostility so we get to be one people, but there was still this fighting going on. The Jews are saying, the, the, the Jewish Christians were saying, um, no, 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 you still have to get circumcised. And the Gentiles were saying, no, we don't. And look at what Paul says in, uh, to, the, to the Galatians in Galatians 5, verse 6. He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is, is faith expressing itself through love. Can I just say that last part? Faith expressing itself through love. What is Paul saying here? He's saying, okay, you Jewish Christians, you believe you still have to be circumcised. You know what? Circumcision means nothing. So if you want to be, go for it, but it doesn't save you. And then he says to the Gentiles, circumcision doesn't matter. It's about what you believe in Christ and then the love that shines through you. So it's not going to keep you from being saved. So do what you're going to do without Jesus. Maybe that's what we got to say, right, in our nation right now. It's okay that you believe this or that about that issue, but it's about Jesus. There's something bigger. There's a bigger picture here, right? So the Galatians struggled this. So did the Colossians. Check out Colossians 3, verse 11. Here, there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Right? How powerful is that? I could say that today. In this room, there is no Democrat or Republican. There is no person for this issue or against that issue. It's Christ, right? No one was outside the door asking what political party you had when you walked in. It's about Jesus, right? Christ is all and is in all. Then he goes on. Let's blast through this. You ready? Therefore, as God's chosen people, now we find out how to live. Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. This is us with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. That's what Paul calls us to do. Then he goes on. And he's actually talking to the, the Colossians and how they treat each other within the church now. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. 
Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs through the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts and whatever you do. Whether in word or deed, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father. Do you see the importance of the love of Jesus, of the compassion of God, of the humility and the gentleness that you and I are supposed to have toward the people around us? That's what matters. It's not that politics aren't important. There's just something so much more important. And if I could just talk for a second about the fact that arguing doesn't work anyway, Have we not learned this? When have you ever been in an argument with somebody and you're screaming at each other and your faces have turned blue and suddenly you go, oh, now I understand what you're saying. Now I, okay, I'm going to change my opinion on that. You were right the whole time. It wasn't until your voice was at a certain level of scream and the vein popped out, but now I'm with you. It doesn't work. What works? Love. Humility, compassion, gentleness. And just so you know, I purposefully have not gone on Facebook for a while because I didn't want any of you to think he must have been on my Facebook page this week. I purposefully didn't go on it because I didn't want anything because the truth is I have nobody in mind here except all of us, right? It's not about one specific person, but arguing doesn't work. I had a friend this past week, earlier in the week when I was on Facebook, he wrote this, no one wants to hear your opinion, they only want to hear their opinion coming out of your mouth, right? Because arguing just doesn't work. And so for the Jews and the Gentiles, it was circumcision and the law and the rules. And Paul just brings them all back to something bigger. He doesn't tell the Jews, don't get circumcised. He doesn't tell the Gentiles they must get circumcised. He just says, something bigger. It's Christ. Christ is the answer, and his love shining through us. Can you imagine if every person in America did that just for one week? Just said, okay, every person I come in contact with, uh, be it about politics or any disagreement I might have or my issue on this or that, okay, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be as humble as I can, I'm gonna be as compassionate as I can, I'm gonna be as loving as I can. Last week, Thomas Gunderson was one of the people shot in Las Vegas. He was shot in the leg, fell to the ground, he said that he was instantly covered in blood, and he thought he was gonna bleed out. So he's laying on the ground, and thankfully, aid came to him. They got him to the hospital. He's laying in his hospital bed after being treated, and President Trump walks in the room. He gets up. Thomas gets up, and President Trump says, no, 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 get back down on the bed, get back down there. And Thomas says, no, 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 you're the President of the United States. I'm going to get up, and I'm going to shake your hand. So he gets up and shakes hand. Now, Thomas then took that video and posted it on social media, and of course, everybody went crazy. And you got people on the one side saying, wow, look at this guy respecting the president and getting up and shaking his hand. you got other people saying, oh, man, who's this guy supporting our president? And there's this big fight on social media going on. And Thomas Gunderson goes on to Facebook and he says, listen, we need to stop hating each other. And honestly, the articles I read about it, they didn't really say whether this guy was pro-Trump or anti-Trump or whatever his views were. But he said, we've got to stop this. And he said, every single person who comments on this thread, I will respond to with love and class. And I couldn't, I I did some research, I couldn't figure out if Thomas Gunderson is a Christian or not, but he's clothing himself in humility and gentleness and love. 
And that gets people's attention. I mean, this news story is all over CNN, Fox News, whatever you watch, it's there. And I just love the power of what he's saying. He's saying there's something more important than all of our disagreements. And so we've got to shine the love of Jesus in this really, really dark, scary time. Because he is the answer to, yes, our lost souls, but also this divided nation. So if you're a follower of Jesus, man, what if even for just this week we kept in view that we would love well even people who disagree with us, most importantly, people who disagree with us. As we head back to the office and school and our neighborhoods this week, what would it look like to walk in humility and more than anything else, shine the love of Jesus? I think it'd be really powerful. And it's going to take every one of us because our nation's in trouble apart from it. Jesus is the answer to our lost souls and our divided nation. If you're not a father of Jesus today, you have felt God doing something in your life throughout the message or the service today. I hope today you'll put your trust in him. It took everything for him to purchase you back. It took everything for him to make you his own. So if you want to put your trust in him today, I'm going to give you an opportunity to just pray in a minute. It's not the prayer that saves you. It's Jesus that saves you. But there's a way to begin a conversation with him. But I hope this week we will shine and broadcast more loudly than anything else the love of Jesus, and the hope that he is to mankind. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that you have a plan for every soul in this room and also our nation. And God, we just bring to you the scary place we're in as a world right now and as a nation. And we thank you that you are a powerful God who can break down walls of hostility that run deep. And we just thank you that you're doing it here in this room today. We have unity in Jesus because he's greater than every disagreement we could ever have. And so we ask, Lord, that you will help us to shine this well. Every race, every gender, every ethnicity, every heritage, every political view, God, the love of Jesus is bigger. And so would you shine through us. We repent for maybe not being known for this among the world, but I pray we will be known for it in the days to come. If you're a follower of Jesus, can you just pray about this? Pray about some people maybe you have a hard time loving. Pray about some people that are just real loud and just ask that the love of Jesus would be louder. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to put your trust in him today, maybe you could just pray something like this quietly. Jesus, thank you for your incredible love for me. Thank you for dying on the cross and rising back from the dead. Would you show me how real you are? Would you show me your incredible love And God, I want to turn from my sin today and I want to follow you. I thank you that you're going to pick me up when I fall down. You're going to empower me to live a way I never could apart from you. Thank you for this gift of salvation in your name.